As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. It is the day after signing day, and we've got a lot to talk about with signing day, Bruce, and also with a certain NFL head coach who got fired. But first, we have a great guest, the new head coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, Marcus Freeman. Okay, Stu, we are pleased to be joined by our guest, fresh off of getting off the practice field, not just having signing day yesterday, Marcus Freeman, the new head coach of Notre Dame. Marcus, thanks for joining us today on The Audible. Thanks for having me, man. It's my pleasure. All right, Marcus, we're coming off signing day. You guys had a top 10 class. It's actually the highest ranked recruiting class Notre Dame has had in nine years. Uh, Our colleague Pete Sampson wrote something interesting, and he said, it took almost Brian Kelly a decade to embrace the idea Notre Dame could sign a top five class. It took Marcus Freeman one week. I'm guessing it probably <laughs> took you even less time than that to think that. So what? now that you're in that big chair, what has changed about either Notre Dame football's approach to recruiting or your approach to recruiting? Well, for me, it was when I first got here 11 months ago. And... You know, you know Notre Dame's special. You choose it for a reason, but then you get here and you realize, man, this place is a gold mine. And if you're able to convey to a young man that, hey, this is what Notre Dame can do for you currently in your athletic career, but also your your post athletic career, um, it's it's the message that, that must be conveyed. That I think if we can do that, young people will realize how special this place is. And so that was my mindset being a defensive coordinator. Hey, as many of these defensive kids that. I talk to, I want them to understand what makes this place special. And so obviously as you transition from the defensive coordinator to the head coach, now it's both sides of the ball, you know, and I've had less than two weeks to try to, you know, convey that message. But the, the reality is, is, is we wanted to keep this class together. Um, Tommy and our offensive staff has done an unbelievable job um, on the offensive side of the ball. And, and we did a really good job on the defensive side of the ball. And so it was about trying to keep this class together. And uh, we feel really pleased with uh, the, the 21 guys we were able to sign. Yeah, on that defensive side, three linebackers all ranked among the top 150 nationally. Obviously, that's a big piece for a guy who is a defensive coordinator. I wanted to, uh, I talked to a, uh, one of your assistants and I said, okay, what do you think makes Marcus so good at this aspect of, of coaching? And he said, I think it's his ability to just keep recruiting as a priority and, and not just do it like at a time when it's convenient. It's almost like some guys just are really about recruiting when it's necessary and that's not how he is. Um, when you drill down into this class and what you were trying to bring, what do you think it takes for Notre Dame? For a lot of people who are like, yeah, they're a playoff team, but to, to actually win national titles, because for people who watch the team you had last year in the Sugar Bowl, you went head toe to toe with that Georgia team. And it was like, there was nothing fluky about it. You easily could have won that game. And it seemed like you guys have a very good you and Luke Fickle and that whole staff had a very good eye for developing athletes and potential and and that kind of thing. So what are the lessons you've taken from that that makes you think, okay, I see guys in this class that I think are going to be pieces to actually win a national title here? 
Well, I think it's two things. Number one is is continue to recruit the the best players in the country that fit Notre Dame, and and it takes a unique individual to be successful here. And uh, the that individual has to be driven in all aspects of life, and in the classroom, and then on the football field, and also in society. And so. That is the type of person we're trying to find. But I want to be able to find the best players in the country that fit that category, you know. And the second thing is just let's continue to enhance this culture and, and, you know, make it so that everybody feels a part of the success or the failures. And so when I when I say that, I mean not just the players and not just the coaches. It's a collaborative um, effort for everybody to feel like we're a part of the solution to closing that gap, as you said earlier, to being national champions. And so every day we're working on that. Every day we have to continue to recruit this, these guys because that's not something that can happen over uh, a short period of time. It's about developing the relationships with these families and with these young people and that they trust you. And so that's something that we have to do every day. And then every day we got to continue to build this culture and continue to let these kids know that we're in it with them and that we're going to achieve all success with those guys and because of those guys. And, and that's to me our process to continue to to gain on those those at the top of the mountain right now. Marcus, you're taking over at an interesting time in college football and recruiting in that with the transfer portal and immediate eligibility, you know, it's become roster management has become a, a, a 365 thing. And so as you were trying to figure out how many you could sign in this class or how many you could sign early signing day. Um, how challenging is that to, to figure out, hey, you know, uh, high school guys versus guys we might need to take, you know, in, in a week or in the spring or in the summer, you know, clearly like your quarterback this year was a was a, you know, a, a transfer pickup. So clearly you guys have experience with that. Yeah. Um, it's unique because when you're the defense coordinator chair, you're worried about just defense and others. Right. And you're just, hey, here's the guys we're losing. Here's the guys we can replace. And then all of a sudden you become the head coach and you look at the big picture and you say, wow, these numbers are a little bit closer than you thought. And so my objective in the past two weeks is just to keep the class we had committed. It wasn't to go out there and say, let's go get as many guys as we can. No, let's keep this class of 21 that we had committed. And and we did. We did a really our staff did an unbelievable job of just keeping this class together. Now, as you look at it, you'll look at, OK, what areas in our roster do we need to really enhance? What areas do we need to either go to the transfer portal and make sure we're trying to attack? Or you can look and say a, a later February signing date for the high school kids. But that's to me now the transition from December to February is OK. What areas of our roster can we go into the portal and, and look for a grad transfer or a transfer? And in what areas can we wait to get a 23 or to address in February? Stu, I, I, so I first met Marcus a long time ago. He had just finished up at Ohio State. It was funny. We did this kind of random thing at ESPN Magazine where he invited five guys who had been fairly prominent pro, uh, players um, to come into New York City for this like photo act. And I don't know if I told Marcus this part, but it was funny. Was, so it was, what was it? Ian Johnson from Boise State, Jared Dillard, great receiver at Rice, I think Graham Harrell from uh, Texas Tech and Mitch King, the yep. Iowa defensive lineman. Right? Oh, and so, but I remember our photo editor just like hit it off with Marcus. She just was so like, I, I, like it's interesting because she just kind of was like this. There's something about him, and she just kind of connected with him. And I remember we were talked about it a little offline, not Marcus and I, the, the photo editor, and just because you were around, we were around these guys for like maybe a day and a half. Um, and it's funny because I know his first coach at Ohio State, Mark Snyder, and he had said, I could have told you he's going to be a head coach if he wants to be from almost the time he got there. Football just made sense to him. You could tell how Marcus is with relationships, right? So now I don't know if anybody would have guessed at 35 you would have arguably the biggest job in college football. Maybe the biggest job, you know, maybe the Cowboys and the Steelers are with it. So... As you kind of left, and I know we know you went to Purdue, and we know you you know had some other jobs, but like, at what point did you say, "All right, this could be a reality"? Because it just seems like, like this stuff usually doesn't happen this fast, right? I mean, guys get get can get a really good job, but like a job that has so much on your plate, in addition to just competing on the field, but just all the external stuff. And everything I'd always heard about Marcus was just like, okay, there's a lot of there's a lot there that he connects with people on that's different. So 
is that something just that you were fortunate born with? Is it something that you kind of were like picking up on things that you were working towards this moment? Like, where did this all kind of come together? Well, that's a big compliment, Bruce. Thank you. Um, you know, I've always tried to pe- treat people with respect. Um, I think that comes from my father and my mother. My dad was a uh, in the Air Force for 26 years, military, very disciplined. You, but you do the right things. You treat people the right way. And my mother um, is from Korea, as I've said before, and she she just knew to care about her family, you know. And and that was my makeup. And 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 then you you spend five years with Jim Tressel, which is your college coach. That Coach Tress made everybody from the janitor to the trainers to the starting quarterback that maybe a won the Heisman feel important. You made everybody feel important. I think it's just because you treat people the right way. And so that's all I've known, and, and that's who I am. And and you know I've been fortunate to be around this game. I love, um, but. Did I ever think I'd be the head coach of anywhere, especially Notre Dame at 35? No. You know, you get into this profession because you're like, okay, I'm not good enough to play in the NFL no more. They find an enlarged heart valve. Maybe I want to go coaching. You know, I want to be on sidelines. I like football. And then you develop this passion to see seeing young people succeed. And that was what drove me to, to just do it better and better and better. Like, I want to see people succeed. I want to see these kids reach that goal. For me, that was almost like the addiction of – Man, when you see a young person reach their goals, it's such a high for me, you know, and it's such a great feeling. And and when you get those texts from former players that say, thank you, thanks for pushing me, thanks for believing in me, that's what I love. And that's what what fulfills me. And so that's all I did. You know, I I remember Coach Tressel when I left Ohio State um, as a GA to go to Kent State. And I just never forget what he said is he said, you work where your butt is, man. Work as hard as you can where your butt is and the rest will take care of itself. And and that's what I've done, you know, and I'm fortunate. It's still surreal at times to say you're the head coach of Notre Dame football. But, you know, it's crazy because before you're in this seat, you think you get in a seat and you're just a completely different person. You're going to get into this seat. You're going to be the head coach at Notre Dame. You're just going to transform into this different person. And the reality is, is that your responsibilities are different. Your day-to-day things are different, but you're the same person in the core of, you know, who you are. And that's, that's what I'll always do. You know, I'll attack each moment, each, you know, objective with the same mentality I've always done is, you know what, you're going to do it as hard as you can. You're going to work as hard as you can, um, but you're going to treat people the right way. And you know what, that's what's got me to this point. I'm going to continue to do it. Marcus, one of the fascinating things about college football coaching carousel is how quickly these huge career changes come together, right? Tommy Reese went on the uh, Ryan Rosillo's podcast and talked about the, that 24, 48 hour period or like one minute he's in a recruiting uh, recruits home with coach Kelly. And then the next minute he's going to LSU and everything's upside down. So we kind of heard what, what that period was like for him. I'm wondering for you, you know, one minute you're just assuming you're the defensive coordinator Notre Dame for the foreseeable future. And next thing it's Brian Kelly's gone. And, and is he going to be the head coach or somebody else going to be the head coach? Can you walk us through what that period was like? Oh man, it was a whirlwind, you know, from, um, I was in a school with a recruit Monday. I can't remember what the date was on this Monday that Coach Kelly, it kind of got out that he was going to LSU, but he called me probably three or four o'clock. Um, I had about three or four missed calls from him. I said, okay, this is probably important. So I walked outside and I called him and he said, hey, I'm going to take the job at LSU. And, and the, soon after he said, I want you to be my defensive coordinator. And I said, okay. I said, can I just ask my wife? I need a job, but I need to ask my wife. And we just moved. And he was like, no, apologize to Joanna, who's my wife, and tell her I'm sorry to try to do this to you guys and make you move again. And, and so from that point, I had to go into the recruit's home. And all these things are going through my head as I'm sitting here with this recruit, like, what is going on right now? And then by that time, as I'm driving home, um, you know, my phone starts to ring. You know, from I talk to people from the AD to our players to – um, people that are involved with the, the hiring. And, and it's just, you know, the AD said first thing was, hey, are you interested in being the next head coach here? And I said, absolutely. Who's not? You know, and, and that was just an initial conversation. And it just started happening. And you saw it. The people were calling that um, you had to talk to. You had to do the interviews. And the last thing was obviously to interview with the uh, president, Father Jenkins. And, and he was over in Rome. And and it was just all a blur. It was. It was just no sleep. You can't sleep. You're you're just on a adrenaline rush. And and you know I'll never forget when when Jack Swerber called me and said, 
I found my next head coach and it, it was a moment I'll never forget. Um, but man, it, now look at it, you know, <laughs> and now look at you and, and you're the head coach of Notre Dame. And how cool is that, man? And uh, what an opportunity is to serve these guys and to help these guys reach their goals. And I won't take it for granted. So, Marcus, we can hear the passion for the players, especially and for the people, you know, coming through. I'm curious as to the football side is one thing, but the Notre Dame job I've always heard is different because there is so much additional on your plate. Uh, you have all these guys who have chosen to be with you. They could have gone, Tommy Reese, you know, you, Mike Elson, a bunch of other guys could have left. Lance could have left. They wanted to stay and be part of that program with you. Um, who else do you lean on maybe who is not on, the, you know, of, of your staff, maybe not necessarily your family, who is like, okay, these are people, it's like, until you're the head coach, you probably don't know what you don't know, right? So who are the people who are kind of, so, because even as you know, Jim Trestle was obviously a wildly successful head coach in FCS and then Ohio State. But even as big as Ohio State was, it's probably not the same thing as being a head coach at Notre Dame. So, who are the guys who have kind of, you know, been good resources and you think will be good resources for you to kind of help you on this journey? Yeah, you know, a lot of people have reached out. A lot of people are willing to help, um, but you got to be careful who the the advice you seek and and. For me, it's the two people that are closest to me is obviously Luke Fickle being one, and he's extremely busy right now with with getting ready for Alabama in the, uh, the playoffs. And so, you know, I've talked to Coach Fick a few times, but really the other guy is, is Jim Trestle. And, you know, it's funny because Coach Trestle has been the same my entire life that I've known him in that he always has this great answer, but never gives you an answer, right? Coach, what do you do here? I remember the first day they asked me, hey, what do you want to do about media? Like, how, how do you want to open up the media? And I'm like, what? You... These are things I've never thought about, right? How 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 do you control the media coming to practice? So, who do I call? Coach Tress. Hey Tress, how did you decide when you let the media in? What are you doing with the media? And he gave me this elaborate answer, and it ended up being no answer. It ended up being, <laughs> hey, trust your instincts. That's what it was like covering him all those years. By the way. <laughs> I bet. I bet. <laughs> we we always joked that he'll tell you all the different ways to. Uh, screw a light bulb in, but we'll never just give you a light bulb. Right. And so he was the same way. And, and, but you know what his, the greatest advice is lean on your captains, lean on those seniors because this is their program. And, and that's what I've done, man, as I've lean, lean on these captains and the guys that have bled for Notre Dame. And, and cause you said it earlier, you said, talked about Tommy and Lance and coach Elson and, and all these guys deciding to come back. And it, it happens to, for me, I believe that it happens to be about Notre Dame more than it does Marcus Freeman. And and I'm glad these guys want to work with me and trust me, but Notre Dame is special. Notre Dame, the community, Notre Dame, the university um, is a place that you want to be affiliate, affiliated with. And you don't know it maybe until you get here. This is a place that will change your life if you, if you truly commit to it. And um, it's exciting, the future of this place. Um, it's exciting for me to be a leader here, but it's also exciting, man, to see where this place is going to take us all. So sell us on why, as you know, that, you know, if, if there's a knock still on Notre Dame, I mean, it's, look, these guys have won a lot of games. They've, they've been to the playoff, but then when they face Alabama or when they face Clemson in the playoff, um, you know, it's not close. Yeah. But you guys clearly feel you're going to win a national championship. So how, you know, for the, for the public that says that's, you know, oh, we don't think that's ever going to happen. Why is that possible at Notre Dame? Well, I don't think it's. It's going to happen this year, and we don't deserve it this year, right? And you had an opportunity to be 12-0, and 0 and, and you lost to an unbelievable Cincinnati team, and, and we finished fifth in the country in the regular season, and that's where we deserve to be. And um, But I think it's a process to getting to that point, and I believe that you can do it here. I believe that with the right talent, with continuing to enhance the culture, like, and as I tell these guys, it's a culture right now that we're 11-1, and 1, right? We've been in playoffs for the past three years. But it's really little things that we can show them and that we can do that are very um, intentional that I think that will take us to that point where we can, you know, we can break through. You know, we can beat the Alabamas or beat the Clemsons or beat the teams that right now are at the mountaintop. And so um, it's going to be a process and it's going to be very intentional. It's going to be trial and error. Right. And it's not a, I wish I just said this is the formula. We're going to do it and then we're going to be national championships in a year, two years. But no, it's, it's going to be about working hard it's going to be about getting that talent like to 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 get the best players in the country it takes work it doesn't take uh, a bs sales pitch it takes 
work, hard work. And we as a staff have to understand that we have to work and we have to develop these relationships. We have to convince these kids that have so many different options that, you know what, Notre Dame's the best place for you. And that takes a lot of work. And, and I think um, our staff is up for the challenge. You know, I know I'm up for the challenge and I want to lead this 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 charge at, at getting those best players in the country, but also understanding that with the guys we have now, with the guys we're bringing in, it's continuing to develop that team, that environment, that culture that's going to get us to the top. Hey, Marcus, we know you got to run. I got one last question for you, though. Mm-hmm. You coached against Cincinnati. You helped develop those players. I mean, I talked to a bunch of NFL scouts who think there's a bunch of real dudes there, not just cornerbacks, not, you know, receiver here, ed- edge rushers. Make the case why this team, you would not shock you that they could win a national title win at all based on the talent that they have. Well, I think a lot of people, when you get ready to play in Alabama, you have a mentality of, oh, shoot, man, we're going to be outmatched before you even walk on the field. The one thing about Cincinnati's football team is that they will believe that they can compete with anybody in the country. And that's what they'll do when they play Alabama. They're going to be confident. They're going to be prepared. They're going to be tough. You know, that's what the one thing Coach Fickle did a great job on there. He developed such a tough culture that you believed you've earned the right to be there. You've earned the right to compete against these guys. And they're mentally going to be ready to go, you know, and, and physically they're, they're going to swing as hard as they can. And so um, I believe in what they can do. I'm going to be rooting like crazy from my, my former team, my former boss. And, and uh, I believe it's going to be a great game. Marcus, we appreciate you joining us today on the Audible. We're happy for you. It's, it's uh, You can feel your energy coming through the screen. I think both Stu and I feel it. And just so, so people it's... have the visual, we've been on Zoom, and he's in his office. He's already got the, the big portrait up of his whole family at, at, at the 50-yard line, like – He's moved in. He's he's the coach. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> All right. Well, best of luck. Best of luck the rest of the way for this year and to your former team as well. And uh, we will definitely look forward to talking you down the road. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. It was fun. Thanks, Mark. Right, thanks, Mark. All right. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Bruce, we just can't escape him. He's he's gone from college football, but not forgotten. Um it was one of those nights where it's good to be on Pacific time when the news broke because it was, I think, 12.40 a.m. on the East Coast that Urban Meyer is out as the Jaguars coach uh, 13 games into his tenure. I always knew it was a bad idea for him to go into the NFL. He is not suited for it. He takes losing so hard. But I could never have guessed just exactly I mean, it was scandal after scandal after scandal. You know, it just kept building and building and building. And you just, you knew it was going to end badly. It was just a matter of when. And it turned out that they pulled the plug shortly after this report that he, that he kicked a kicker uh, in preseason game. Yeah, that one was like, what? Is that real? You know, like. Obviously, this thing started, seemed like it it took a downward turn almost immediately. You know, there was the ill-fated hire of the disgraced Iowa strength coach. um, And he had to walk that back within a day. I think he talked about vettings. Like, a lot of the story just didn't line up, even on the timing standpoint. And then there was just so many other things that happened. I think the moment, I think a lot of people were like, yeah, this is probably not going to make it to Christmas. Um, was they lose the game and he goes back, not with the team, but it goes back to uh, Columbus. And then there is the night out where he is seen, not only seen, but he's, you've seen the video. You've seen multiple videos. So it, it just so like, so, I mean, it's almost like you, I don't want to say you don't know where to begin because I think you go where you go back to the, to the Chris Doyle hire, but it's just like, there's so many layers to this. Um, You know, I I think a couple of things when people would make the, 
rationalization. Well, it's going to be a really rough first year, but he has his he has his franchise quarterback, and they have a lot of cap space, and he knows talent. And so people were like, well, Jimmy Johnson won national titles, and he had a franchise quarterback. They were awful the first year. There's some big differences from talking to people who know Jimmy Johnson well and also know Urban. First of all, uh, Jimmy Johnson brought most of his guys with him from Miami. That staff was they they were going to be all in with him. I think Jimmy Johnson, from what I from people who know him well, are like he's wired pretty differently than Urban is. They're not close to the same guy. Uh, the other thing that I think people didn't realize or maybe didn't get was Jimmy Johnson had some really bad teams at Oklahoma State. He was three and eight or three and seven a couple you know like a couple of times, and so. He was probably, not only was he used to things not going his way more than Urban was, but I also think if you look at at Urban's history in the Big Ten in the last decade, I would argue maybe there's like a game or two against Alabama where he coached against a team that had better talent than him, but it was almost never a case where anybody had even comparable talent to him. Like nobody else in the Big Ten did. You know, the teams that didn't he didn't we hear a quote of his at some point that he, he told one of the, you know, maybe a coach on another team like this is like playing Alabama every week. Yeah, I mean, I, and, you know, people can mock that, but I think it's 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 the truth. And so I think there was just so many things here where you're just like, OK, when is this thing going to end? And then last night, you know, as as somebody in Jacksonville put it to me, you know, in the last 24 hours, was like he just could not get out of his own way, and um, so there it is. You know, and it's just, just kind of a spectacular, fa- spectacular fiasco as it was. I think that it was never the same for him. I think something changed with him after the Zach Smith scandal. It was the first time. I mean, this is a guy who just was so wildly successful everywhere he went in college he'd never really had to deal with um people questioning him about anything or criticizing him about anything and i don't know if i would agree with that Stu, because like when he was at florida people there was a lot made of just how bad the off-field track record was of yeah. his teams but don't you feel like that started to become i feel like it wasn't until after he'd left florida and certainly once aaron hernandez happened that there was more scrutiny of that. He was winning national championships at Florida, so everything else just kind of got glossed over. That that's maybe I'm remembering that wrong, but I mean he got suspended. This is something they were he actually got punished and suspended and um and lost a lot of credibility, frankly. And so by the time he got to Jacksonville, you know, who knows if his style would would have fit or not, but it wasn't like, you know, you mentioned Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson was coming in off, you know, national championships. Like his credibility, I would imagine, was extremely high. This wasn't Urban going straight from the 2014 national title into an NFL locker room. Um, he His reputation had taken some hits, by the, and he'd been out of coaching for a couple of years by the time he got there. So I think there was understandable skepticism before he even coached a game. And then he tried to hire Chris Doyle, who had been, you know, run out of Iowa over many, many, many allegations of uh, racist, racist uh, comments toward players uh, that, you know, got scuttled. It was just like one thing after another, after another, where his credibility, um, where he had no credibility. And, you know, what's interesting about this whole time was there have been plenty of coaches who failed in the NFL, but the fact that the stuff kept leaking told me that there were a lot of people there that just didn't want him there. All right, Stu, you've covered him. Do you think he has a realistic shot of being a college coach again? Well, never say never, because it only takes one. You know, I I would not have guessed Bobby Petrino would become a college coach. But look where Bobby Petrino's coaching. No, No knock on the place he's coaching at. Urban Meyer, I could be totally wrong on this. Urban Meyer is not going to be coaching at some school that is like that he was not going to be paying attention to before. He's not going to be the head coach at Indiana State. He's not going to be the head coach at New Mexico. He's not going to be the head coach if Purdue ever came open. I just would be shocked if he would 
if he would say, hey, I'm going to coach it somewhere that I can't, do not have a realistic shot of really competing for a national title. I mean, I'm of the opinion that at this point, the baggage is so much that it, it makes him untouchable. I mean, we already know that USC, uh, you know, at the time, people were like, oh, they're definitely going to hire Urban Carol Meyer. Carol Folt was not. Out. Yeah, we, we had reported that she back then. Carol Folt was not, did not want to touch Urban Meyer. Let's not forget that Texas, less than a year, well, about a year ago, was ready to hire Urban Meyer if Urban Meyer would have them. And that was with all of the Zach Smith stuff, all of the baggage up to... So the question is, is what happened in Jacksonville enough that even those schools are like, yeah, we can't we can't go there. I think it's a small pool of schools that the cross-section of who would go, who would he, where would he be willing to consider and would those schools, like, you'd figure in that pile would be Notre Dame... Um, no, nah, it's not. No, happening. I wouldn't think that's happening. No, uh, and then it's like Texas because they had they had danced there, but I'm not sure how many other places I could see him a wanting to live and b feeling like they have a realistic chance to compete for a national title. I think if he wants to be a college head coach again, and who knows if he does, it would be at Bowling Green. It would be at Toledo. It would, you know, it would. Or like a high-level FCS You think he'd want to saying, be there? No, I'm saying if he wanted to be, that's that's what it would have to be. That's who would probably be willing to take that chance. Oh, I don't doubt that there were, there would be plenty of schools in college football, and they could. And I think someone would be power five schools that would be would be would jump at the chance to hire Urban Meyer if they could. I just don't think so. Those are the same schools that he would want to be at. You say that like they would jump at the chance. Okay. Yeah. If you're just looking at on the field record, of course you would jump at the chance. He was a wildly successful college coach, but everywhere he's been, it ends badly. It ends in controversy. You, you, I mean, do you, you think if you think asked Ohio state to, fans, to deal with that again, do you think if you asked Ohio state fans, if they would say it ended badly, I mean, it, you know, like they would regret having hired him. He led them into a national title. They, they went to a bunch of big bowls I mean, I bet, I'm guessing if we were to like to call Albert Breer right now, who's like a huge Ohio State fan in the media, and said, Albert, do you, th- do you think Ohio State never should have hired Urban Meyer? I'm guessing most of those. Oh, uh, no, I'm not saying that. I, I, of course, of course, the, there's, you know, he, he, he elevated that program, frankly. He elevated the Big, he honestly elevated the Big ne- Ten. Never been. He elevated the Big Ten. Right. But it's not that I don't, I don't think Ohio State fans regret hiring him by any means, but. If Ryan Day left for the Chicago Bears at the end of the season, would any Ohio State fan want him back? Well, I'm sure there's a lot. Well, of, I'm, sure any, a I'm sure lot some would. would. Yeah, I'm sure a lot would. I, I don't think it would be the majority. I think he burned that bridge. Maybe we should have uh, Bill Landis do a poll on that. I think you're wrong. All right, so uh, as we look back on signing day, one huge story took over, and I would argue as somebody who's covered recruiting fairly closely over 20-plus years, by far the biggest signing day stunner that of at least of my time around the sport. Deion Sanders flipping Travis Hunter, the number one recruit in the entire country, who plays the position Deion uh Deion is most famous for, cornerback, and flipped Dion flipped him from Dion's alma mater, by the way, the school that Dion wanted to coach and they didn't want him to go not to an HBCU and play in FCS, mind blowing. Yeah, it's I've I've lived through a lot of signing day stunners, relatively speaking. Um, nothing like this. I mean, if Dion had stolen away the number one hundred recruit in the country, it would have been a big deal. Much less the player in the whole class who had been committed to Florida State for a long time. Um, people want to, of course rush to conclusions about this and what it means, the NIL era, all these things. I know that we'll know if this is part of a larger trend for some time. But what it does do to me is, I mean, look, I thought Dion being hired as a head coach uh, for a college program was kind of a just a PR stunt. I didn't think it would actually work. It has worked tremendously. They had their best season in 14 years. They won their conference. He has, you know, even before this, was starting to attract Power 5 caliber recruits. And now he's got the number one recruit in the country. Uh, 
you know, you said he wanted the Florida State job, they wouldn't want him. I wonder if that would be different if we revisit this a year from now. Like, I feel like this helped legitimize him as a, and he's interviewed for Power Five jobs, so it's not like nobody's taking him seriously. And now I think everybody will take him seriously. Right, it was TCU. Uh, he interviewed for Southern Miss. I mean, those places didn't hire him. I want to go back to, so I do the Rich Eisen show uh, relatively regularly, and Rich Eisen worked with Dion at NFL Network, and this is a side conversation he and I have had for a while. And so I had uh, texted him before this all went down yesterday morning. And then, so I did this story for The Athletic just about getting a bunch of different perspectives from people on the NIL side, on the coaching side, all over. But I asked Eisen for this because he's he worked with Dion, he knows him well. And I think what he said actually gets it what you felt, and I think to some degree what I felt, maybe not as strongly as you did, but um, Rich Eisen, this is his words. I told everybody Florida State made a mistake in not hiring Deion Sanders. They hired Mike Norvell, who has gone 8-15 and 15 since, and the school has agreed to keep him through 2026. Deion Sanders has been overlooked his entire career and life. People will hear that and think, how can he be overlooked? And he, he says, because you think he's not serious, that's why. He's, quote, prime time. Incorrect. It's all part of his plan. Ask anybody who has played with him. They will tell you he was the most prepared guy. When he came to the NFL Network, people wondered, how great of a teammate can he be? Well, he was one of the best I've ever worked with. He knows this sport, and most importantly, in the 21st century, he knows how to reach kids and how to talk to them. And I think those things, like all of that stuff, and the, the way he concludes it, by the way, and for Dion to take this kid for Florida State, what a chef's kiss moment for him. So don't believe for a second that Deion Sanders didn't relish that pull even more on top of... of the, and look, this could very well be a one-off. If somebody hires Deion Sanders away, whether it's an NFL team or a college team a year from now, uh, yes, there's been other prominent coaches who've now ended up taking over HBCU programs. I mean, Eddie George, legendary Ohio State running back. He's at Tennessee State. Hugh Jackson is now an HBCU coach. Um, Tyrone Wheatley is as well. So there are are prominent guys. The question is now, with some combination of either NIL or just the visibility, and look, if you're a cornerback, who better to play for than Deion Sanders, right? I mean, he knows the position better than what it takes to be great, better than anyone. Um, Let's also not forget that with the transfer portal, or actually with the one-time exception, if Deion got a Power 5 job next year, uh, Hunter could just follow him. He could, or some other other players could say, "Hey, I, I see the, all these guys wanting to go there. I want to go play for Dion." You know, because you know there'll be. And by the way, Dion just didn't have a really good first year. He was the FCS National Coach of the Year, so like, you know, hats off to him. I did not think it would go as well as it's gone because um, there was obviously there was a lot of drama in the beginning. And you know, we talked about Urban's drama in Jacksonville, not to equate the two here, but like, remember there was the weird locker room story of his first game where stuff got stolen, and it was just kind of out of the locker room and so um he's been battling some some health issues at the same time and still they are winning a lot of games and obviously getting getting big time recruits now of course rumors were flying on twitter about possible you know this this guy must have gotten a million dollar deal two million dollar deal something like that to to go to jackson state we have no idea if that's true what we do know is that in general this was the recruiting class across the country where NIL became a really big factor. And it makes a lot of people uncomfortable, right? Because some of the stuff that we're, we're hearing about is basically a legalized version of what SMU got the death penalty for many years ago. And I'm thinking specifically of Texas, where boosters have teamed up and, um, you know, have, have started a, a, first of all, a nonprofit that is going to pay every offensive lineman on the roster $50,000 for an NIL deal next year. And then I believe it's some huge figure, like $10 million, that's part of some larger NIL fund. And so money is now, you know, it was always happening under the table, but now over the table that schools are, you know, putting together the best package to 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 help attract recruits. And it makes a lot of people uncomfortable, and I, and I understand why. Um, but I'm not surprised and I just, I've always been in favor of, of legalizing NIL because I thought it was wrong that players 
you know, that everybody could profit off a player's name and image, but not the player himself. Um, and so for me personally, like, this is a consequence I'm willing to live with. But how are, how are you feeling about it? I mean, I'm I, honestly, I'm fine with it at this point. Like, you see a lot of pushback from, you know, more, quote, establishment people who I think are just so used to, well, the coaches get this, and they seem to be fine with fine with that element of it. But when it comes to other power balance things, um, I think the part where people, you know, like there's layers of this, right? I think the part where people are kind of like, well, somebody spent a fortune to get Quinn Ewers to leave school a year early and he never played it down at Ohio State and he didn't even stay there. He ended up, you know, it's just like, look, I, it's not my, like, it's not my place to necessarily say that's a bad business deal for whatever company did whatever they did. You know, I, I think there are certain sides of this where, you know, Travion Henderson, great Ohio State running back, you know, has a great performance and then you see him posing for pictures with his new truck that he got. Um, you know, I think two years ago, people would have been outraged at that aspect of it. And now I think people say, all right, you know, that's probably good business for the... It's probably good um, for that company's business, and it's certainly good for Ohio State, and it's certainly good for Travion Henderson and his family. And so who is aggrieved by this? Well, I'll tell you um, one person who's aggrieved by it. Former Auburn coach Gene Chizik. Uh, this, this tweet kind of went viral the other day, and not in a good way. Every scholarship offensive lineman at Texas will get $50,000 a year with a new NIL deal, not to mention the $200,000 education. Americans struggle finding $50,000 jobs to feed their children. Next, it's going to be 100000 per player with no end in sight. Flawed system, four exclamation points. The most dollars wins. It's, it's kind of interesting to me that, um, that he would make that point, and I'm sure he's not alone among the coaching profession. Literally like a week or two weeks after several college football coaches signed 90, 95, $100 million contracts. The notion that it's that's fine, that's capitalism, would have made the best man win, but that that shouldn't apply to the competition, the mar a market of competition for actual athletes. You know, that's where I think there's a bit of a, I don't know if it's a generational thing or, or what, but, you know, I would say the majority of the people covering the sport today, you know, at least in terms of media, I'm not saying it's representative of, of fans in general, would, look, would just think that's hypocritical. You know, I don't even know if that's generational. I like, I like Gene Chizik. We've had him on the podcast. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I cringed when I saw that. And as a lot of people pointed out, Gene Chizik made a fortune to not coach. Uh, oh, many Tigers. people pointed out immediately his $7 million buyout. I mean, I mean, look, there's there, as we said, you know, um, Mike Leach had comments about being outright outraged by players opting out of bowl games and somebody had pointed out well mike leach took the texas tech job and left oklahoma you know he was not that was a that was kind of like wait what are you talking about here you know and this is we see plenty of examples of coaches you know making their own like i think the issue would be it's when coaches preach accountability like somebody could say to you or say to me or say to andy staples hey, if somebody offered you double your salary, you'd leave, and who are you judging them? What's different, I think, is we are not going out and recruiting 18-year-olds and getting them to believe in, or you know, a team of 150 people, getting them to buy into a vision of all-in and finish and all these other, um, other kind of tenets of teamwork. You know, if, if Andy, and I'm not saying this is happening, I, don't know, I shouldn't keep bringing up Andy, but like if Chris Vanini is getting, you know, double the salary to leave the athletic, um, you know, it's not like, hey, I'm trying to be careful. I don't want to say this the wrong way. We're, you know, it's like good for Chris Vanini, right? It's like, you know, I, I just think that with teams and colleges, the relationship piece is so much different. And I think that's why people it doesn't pass a smell test when people hear these kind of comments especially from coaches who are making a lot of money I, I do I will say I one source of resentment and I, I do understand this point of view to some extent is this feeling of they and Gene said it in his tweet right 
they're already getting a free college education, uh, which is worth well into the six figures, depending on the school. And, you know, meanwhile, millions of Americans have college, still have college loan uh, debt. Uh, and so there's a bit of resentment around that. Um, but, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, in every other walk of life, except college athletics, you know, you are, you're, you're if, if, if somebody thinks you're worth X, then you're worth X. You know, I, I uh, tried to explain this on Twitter yesterday. That to me, the, the, the fundamental thing is that in, in being denied NIL rights all this time, you are denying the athletes something that any of their peers on a college campus can do. There are influencers or these, these YouTube stars, these twins who went to Baylor and Baylor basically paid them to endorse the college. Um, college Ivy League schools will, will you know, try to compete for the best students by who, who's going to give the best financial aid package. Like, this is just how it works. And it just so happens that Quinn Ewers is worth a lot more to, to Texas now uh, than, than the average student. It is what it is. It's what the market says. The other thing I would say is we are so early in this. We are a few months into the NIL era. It's probably going to take years to sort itself out. I would not assume that Quinn Ewers getting a seven million dollar or a seven figure deal before he plays a down of college football is going to be the norm. You know, he's a he's a five star the 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 first uh, you know perfect score quarterback on Rivals.com or two four seven or whatever uh, ever. So um, that not everybody not every college football recruit fits that profile. So we'll see. We'll see. Will these companies, will these boosters feel like they're getting a return on their investment? The other thing is the NCAA is just completely, just completely given up trying to enforce any of them. It is still a violation of the rules to pay a player to come to your school. Okay. If, 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 if somebody like, you know, and, and most of them I assume are not dumb enough to get caught doing this, but if somebody wrote a check to Travis Hunter and he only gets that check if he comes to Jackson State. That's an NCAA violation. That hasn't changed. But how do you police that? How do you enforce that? Signing day in general, um, you know, stories that stood out to me, you can you can tell tell your your own, but like Texas A&M became the first school other than Alabama or Georgia to finish with a number one class in over a decade. This was um, Jimbo Fisher's crown jewel class to this point. And... But meanwhile, his, their rival, or I guess they sometimes pretend it's not their rival, Texas, also made quite the late surge to jump up the rankings. What's also key, I think, for Texas a we anticipate that they will get Max Johnson, who actually beat them in the, the last regular season game uh, to drop A&M to 8-4. and four. Uh, We'll see if Max Johnson is a missing piece. I mean... This is a huge class. Where are we with with uh, Jimbo Fisher in terms of the expectation? Like, if I was an A and M fan, I would obviously be fired up for the number one ranked class. I mean, in four seasons there, he's had one good year, and the rest have been kind of meh at this point relative to the expectations. Um, tell me what you tell me what you where you think this will go. From well, the there. expectation when he was hired was national championship. And people, some people scoffed at that. But once you recruit the number one class and once you start stacking classes like that, then yes, you should win a national championship. It's the same, you know, the same thing that Kirby Smart's been dealing with, you know, that he hasn't yet broken through and, and, and won at all, um, despite the level he's recruiting at. So you know, they went eight and four this year. They went four and four in the SEC. So it's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a disconnect there that that, that program that just went eight and four uh, signed the number one class in the country. But one thing that's been noticeable about Jimbo is not a single Aggie fan has ever lost faith. You know, um, they fully believe he's going to lead them to the promised land and stuff like Wednesday, stuff like signing the number one class, signing the number two player in the country, um, reaffirms that. He's done a tremendous job of just continuing to sell hope and stick with the process and part of that, frankly, I think is because of the contract. He's not going anywhere. He's not, or I would say they're not firing him uh, under any circumstance. So um, they, can, they can afford to be patient. 
whereas maybe a coach who's not on that kind of leash, people start pan. I mean, Dan Mullen, right? He he had a bad season, and everybody starts panicking. Um, now I will well, say this: recruit, like he also did not rec- Dan Mullen did not recruit anywhere no. in New York, and also Dan Mullen didn't beat Texas number one Alabama. You know that that's the thing. It's an eight and four season, but it had also a, Dan Mullen. By the way, Dan Mullen did it. not. Dan Mullen did not have a national championship in his past either as a head right. coach. I think Bad Jim, comparison. I'll, throw, I'll discard it. Um, okay. But the but, point is, but, they went eight so, and four. The year after finishing, I think, in the top five, they went eight and four, and nobody batted an eye. Like, full speed ahead. We, were, we got the number one class coming in. We're going to win the national championship. Okay. So, three years from now, give me the percent chance that Jimbo Fisher has, in fact, not just made a playoff, won a national title. He would have mm-hmm. been there seven years. Will Nick Saban still be in the conference? Yes, I think then so. Then I'm going to put it at a fairly low percentage. And that's not, you know, that's not picking on a Is A&M. low under, under 15%? I go 20. Okay, 20%. Again, that's, that's not, it's not that I think Jimbo is a bad coach. It's that it's hard for anybody to get, I mean, look at Georgia right now. They've done everything you possibly could to put yourself in position to win a national championship and they still end up getting their butts kicked by Alabama. Now they could turn around and win the national championship. They still got a shot, but at least on that field in Atlanta a couple weeks ago, it looked like there was still a gap. Yeah. By the way, A&M will have to replace its defensive coordinator. Mike Elko is leaving for Duke. He did a really good job. So we'll see how, and and honestly, the AM defense was the thing to hang its hat on really since they've been there. So we'll see how that goes from there. Obviously, Alabama is still recruiting really well. They have, as of right now, the number two class in the country. Georgia number three. A uh, couple of like slight surprises here: Kentucky number eleven, Missouri. Yeah, how about 12. Missouri? Yeah, I mean, look, Eli Drinkwitz, doing well. Um, he signed the number Indiana. three player in the country, Luther Burden, a receiver from East St. Louis. Indiana, the number 20 class, even though Indiana had a god-awful season. Well, the season thing is, year. the recruiting starts so early now that I don't think the season that we're in right now has any bearing on it. So that's Indiana getting a bump from last season because they were recruiting these kids, you know, during, if not before, that big breakout season last year. I'd say the same thing about Missouri. Drinkwitz had a very promising first season. UNC, you know, has the top 10 class. Like, this is carryover from the 2020 cycle. Yeah, so, you know, you've got the mostly usual suspects at the top, Alabama, Georgia, et cetera, but um, some some fresh faces as well had a really good signing day. Um, that was an action-packed episode. Uh, by the way, oh, by the way, bowl games start this weekend, including... The Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl. I got to interview Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, definitely a, a different kind of interview than I usually get to do, Bruce. He was cracking me up. You can read that interview on The Athletic. And if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash theaudible for a discounted subscription. And uh, enjoy the bowl games this weekend. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.